no humanity They fire at our family Our flow will be the remedy Cause water got no enemy Greetings, everyone. This is Manuel Arciniegas, director of the Andrews Family Fund. And today I am blessed to be with Francisca Porchas Coronado, one of the leaders of Resilient Strategies, which is advancing healing justice for our movement. Francisca, how are you? Good. I'm happy to be here with you. Hi, Manuela. Hi, what an honor. We go way back. I might, I think we were... Boy, more than 20 years ago, just, you know, polishing our chops, learning about organizing out at the Center for Third World Organizing. And what a journey it's been since then. What have you been up to? Ooh, <laughs> it would take many hours to tell you what's happened since then. But I literally just continued on that journey when we met. Uh, we met as baby organizers in 2002, I think, okay. and 18 years ago. So I just been on that organizing journey for that amount of time, just dedicated to movement and continuing to, to fight, to really shift at the basic level material conditions for community, but also really wanting to see that change that we were dreaming up in the world, I think at our, uh, in 2002. <laughs> yes, and I can only imagine the types of like aha moments that have happened since then in the last 18 years. And I'm curious, you know, where are you now with your work with resilient strategies? Like why resilient strategies and what does that have to do with the kind of leader and organizer you are today? Yeah, you know, I good old classic uh, now classic, we could call it that, door-to-door organizing, having one-on-one conversations with many people, working class folks, Black, Latino, uh, Brown, East and South Asian, just all kinds of people really diving in to issues of economic and racial justice and issues around incarceration and also issues around environmental justice. So I've done a lot and I think more and more it became clear that transformation, personal transformation, and collective transformation in the process of this fight of building power and transforming also systems and society at scale was very important. And I think that as an organizer and somebody who's, you know, been on the ground for so many years, I could speak from a place of really knowing that more more and more we were not really tending to both the pain that our communities carry or doing it and invisibilizing our own work and also not having the skills to be able to do so. And also knowing that movement is some, a place that really, where people really find renewed purpose to their really difficult, sometimes traumatic, many times traumatic experiences. And so it became more and more clear to me that healing is as much about our right to well-being as it is about our about building power. And so that's the kind of work that we're doing with resilient strategies, with resilient strategies, the work that we do daily to transform, abolish, and vision and build beyond systems of harm really requires a lot of us uh, to, to do work in our, on ourselves and our collectives. And so that's the kind of work that we're focusing on in the team. That's wonderful. And, and where are you based right now? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been here for the last six years. I did grow up here in Phoenix, Arizona, but spent a a lot of time in in Los Angeles, California, doing some of this work around environmental justice, economic justice, racial justice as an organizer. Beautiful. And and so what does it look like um, 
every day, organizing in communities. What, what happens in communities when we don't prioritize healing in our organizing, in our movements? Yeah, I can only speak from experience. I think that coming back here to Phoenix, Arizona, and really wanting to work within the immigrant rights movement, it became more and more evident, I think, for the first time. You know, I've been working with multiracial, a multiracial base of people, multilingual, multinational. But for the first time, I was working with mostly Mexican immigrants, a lot of undocumented people, mixed status families, young people, elders. And for the first time, I just really found myself as an organizer really stressed out in a way that I hadn't been. I mean, organizing can be pretty stressful. But in this particular situation, I was really having to tend to people in deportation proceedings whose life might completely change and they're gone from one day to the other from the country or people whose family member had just been deported and their children were left here with one of the parents or people whose uh, child had been murdered by the Phoenix Police Department. And so that kind of pain was pretty deep, both for me as somebody who was witnessing it and intending and, and really accompanying people. And then also the folks themselves were just not, as much as we were fighting for their cases and all of that, were really still in this really traumatic response, body-wise, emotionally. And I would see them in PTSD episodes and really couldn't do much and then felt a lot of guilt, I think, of of really putting them in positions where they had to speak in public about their story or advocate and tell their stories when I really had intended to their pain. And so it just became clear and clear that we needed to really focus on that particular aspect of this social justice work, of this immigrant rights work, knowing that maybe we'll lose a case, but maybe on the other side of that, that particular person was going to find sanctuary, emotional, spiritual sanctuary in our organization, was going to be resourced emotionally and spiritually in ways that the state and that we couldn't win politically. And, and that's sort of how I came to consciousness about the importance and then also how I began to create projects within what the human rights movement to really tend to that and to, to figure out how to accompany people in that way, but also to see it as an integral part of fighting for the liberation of immigrant people, right? And, and it applies to pretty much all sectors of this work, in my opinion. That's really powerful. I mean, you're really talking to... Um, the taking on that element of providing that care and, as you say, tending to for leaders and community members in a way that I haven't heard many organizations articulate as fundamental to the, the project of building power in communities. And so I'm curious, like, what is your dream for social justice organizations? What, what would it look like in practice and theory if they embraced healing justice and embrace tending to community members in this way that you're describing? Yeah, uh, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much that I want to happen. You know, I've been geeking out and rereading some of the stuff that I read. I think when we were, that moment we were baby organizers, like the people's history of the United States and indigenous people's history and, and just really trying to both remind myself of of our history where we come from where our ancestors 
our, the struggle of our ancestors, I think, is broadly sort of talked about. Um, and also that helping me sort of like vision, where is it that we're going? Obviously, political, the political situation and conditions continue to be what they are. And they can seem really bleak at times. And there's also the real struggle to transform whole communities from the, at the cellular level, right? Like ideally, we would see, like my sort of vision is that we will be fighting in struggle to transform the society that's been created, in my opinion, in these, in these continents that we occupy, right? And some of us are native to these continents or that we live in and we have been forced to live in some of us. We will continue on this fight for, for, for centuries, right? And so that's not discouraging to me. That's actually just the arc of history right? that we've heard talked about. I think where I feel like in order for this to be sustainable, in order for this to be for this work to be a joyful practice, a practice of resilience, a practice of, of where we see the fruits of our labor in our own transformation, it's really important for us to start really taking a critical look at the impacts of systems on our bodies and our behaviors and the organizations that we're building that are a critical part of this process to liberation. And I feel like liberation isn't something that has to happen in 50 years or 100, but something that could happen every single day based on this, right? The transformation that happens at all those levels and that we can feel what freedom feels like as an inside job, like Erica Huggins says from the Black Panther Party, and that the healing justice is is seen and taken as a politic that can really guide this process is an invitation to align our power building practices with like just the broader well-being of our communities and what they deserve and i feel like we will feel what this transformation is like at all levels and and that we don't have to wait for this material thing to happen or materials condition material conditions that we're fighting for which obviously we're going to continue doing to happen for us to feel that way at our, our literally our most cellular level and within our communities, our families, our whatever that at scale or at organizational level. And so that's sort of my, that's my, my hope, my wish. That's what I'm working towards. And to just continue politicizing this conversation, which I think sometimes can end up being depoliticized in different spaces and that this practice of resilience, something that we can really integrate into our lives, into our work, and feel into it, lean into it, and build with it, you know? And so that's my dream. <laughs> mm, that's a beautiful dream. And I think what's so um, exciting and enticing, Francisca, about your dream is that it's rooted in joy, and it's not a postponed joy. It's feeling joy now, through the daily act of organizing and movement building. And, and the idea that we're going to feel into it and, and that feeling will permeate all levels of ourselves, our relationships within organizations and in our families is so beautiful. It's the relief I think we've all been waiting for. And we have moments of and glimpses of it as we do social justice work. But I, I really appreciate your offering that it's not something to wait for. It's actually something we can create for ourselves and each other now. 
and and that's so necessary it's like the water that we need today right can you tell me a little bit about how do you create those moments in the today what are the interventions that resilience strategies is working on who are you working with and what are the practices that, that you're engaged in with them that creates that that possibility of feeling it now, feeling that liberation now? Yeah, absolutely. We've been super intentional, I think, as as a crew <laughs> organization, I guess we could call ourselves, although we're mm-hmm. definitely not that in the classic sense, but definitely we've been really intention as a t- intentional as a team to both build out some of our thought leadership around this and then also to begin to work with folks. So one organization that I wanna, wanna lift up that we're working with right now that I'm super excited is Chicago Justice Torture Center. And super excited, the organizers or some of the leadership hit us up to really begin to work with them around wanting to work together and build out their definition of state violence and their definition of politicized healing. And so that was some of the initial work. And just to, to, to be clear, CTJC has been one of the leading, most important organizations in Chicago around working with the victims of police torture. And they take this obviously very seriously and know that they want the entire organization to have a much sharper, clearer, articulated analysis around both politicized healing and state violence. And so it's been very exciting to work with them, this and very generative. And then we're um, now in the process of building our curriculum around a set of goals that they have to work with communities in Chicago, both the community themselves who are victims of torture, but also their colleagues in this struggle, right? Black and brown and Arab colleagues in this struggle so that together they can also build out this analysis around politicized healing and state violence as it relates to criminalization and incarceration. And so it's been a very exciting process. I think that If I remember correctly, my elder used to say that the transformative organizing transforms the organizer. And I know that my hat is in like a classic organizer. Obviously, I know what organizer is and I know what I'm doing and they're not necessarily the same right now. But I do believe that this process has been also been very transformative for me, right? As I have been in the midst of struggle, in campaigns, fighting, this process looks different and this process is about really putting into practice some of the broader thought leadership around what is politicized healing? How do we build more resilient culture inside our organizations? How do we build more resilient culture inside a movement? How do we have generative conflict? How um, do we build trust with each other? What is this broader analysis that's informing our work and that can ultimately inform our campaign building? So all of this has been exciting for me and that we're gonna have, be helping them with a cohort uh, early next year of organizations inside of Chicago. That's super exciting. And that is just liberating because to think about politicized healing, to think about the fact that this group is naming torture as an act and a mechanism of the state. And this 
and that that's what you they're working with their community members through the your support to build out the approach and the curriculum and the the new culture that will that is being created to fight that is really beautiful it's a beautiful vision and i'm wondering yes absolutely and and you know what what would it mean for social justice organizations and funders who support and partner with community organizations, what could it mean if we embraced um, resourcing politicized healing and the healing of, of, of the members of nonprofit organizations? Like, what do you think would look different in the, in the way that nonprofit organizations and philanthropy currently operates? Ooh, that's a long question. That's a long answer. But <laughs> some of the basics that I think are really important is that with the election of Trump, more and more foundations, and I would say also like grassroots organizations, nonprofits, kind of brought like named, right? Named the fact that emotional well-being and physical well-being are extremely important, right? Because why? Because we were all kind of in crisis when he got elected. We were, I think, obviously envisioning the really scary presidency of <laughs> administration, right? And all the things that could possibly happen. I think to some degree, it's gone beyond our wildest nightmares in some ways. But all that to say that because we're in a moment where people have named it, are talking about it, in the most basic sense, some people say self-care, in the broader sense, some people say healing, healing justice. And then many people have a long trajectory of been doing work around transformative justice and healing justice, like Miriam Kaba and Kara Page and other folks that I really admire. But it's a conversation now. So the question is, will this be something that if organizations are leaning into it and are wanting to do that type of work, can they be resourced to do it, right? Like the grassroots, like folks that are on the ground organizing day in and day out, fighting to, to change raw material conditions for people, whether it's incarcerated youth or whether it's immigrant detainees or whether it's whatever that fight looks like, housing issues. What does it look like for foundations to say, we, this actually is something that matters and that needs to be prioritized and we hear you and we also, and to create a culture that's like, this is a priority. And although these aren't numbers where it's like, you know, sometimes I feel like the way we measure impact in the broader nonprofit funding world is like, these are the numbers, these are the outcomes type stuff. Resilience is harder to measure, right? Um, uh, transform movements and transformative justice or healing justice and its impacts are a bit harder to measure. And so what are the new ways in which we are going to approach how we measure impact? So those are some of the things that I feel like could shift and could look different if this becomes like something that it feels like it is a priority, it is centered, and that the work of it, because a lot of this is somewhat invisible labor inside of organizations, this emotional work that is so feminized, right, is, is very invisibilized sometimes. So how do, we, how do we show it? How do we recognize it? How do we acknowledge it? How do we center it and value it in, in the way that it deserves and then also resource it and, and tell organizers and tell leadership, yes, like this matters and you can center this and you can even send it. It's a sense of really strong message 
to also the people on the ground that are doing the work that this is important and they can center it as well. So those are some thoughts. That's awesome. And can you tell me a little bit about your your co um, your colleagues in this journey? Who who are you building resilient strategies with? Yeah. So there's there's two. Uh, there's Mark Anthony Johnson. He is a longtime organizer. We started organizing together in Los Angeles about 18 years ago, so 17 years ago now. And he is also a an acupuncturist, a healer himself, and has just has a lot of years of organizing under his belt. He leads the Frontline Wellness Network right now, one of the organizations that is really integral in the fight around LA jails. Um, And he organizes health practitioners across Los Angeles County around ending jails, essentially, um, and releasing people, decarcerating. And then Prentice Hemphill, who is a somatics practitioner of many years, really gifted, brilliant, sought after somatics practitioner. He's also a therapist and also longtime uh, activist in the work of transformative justice, healing justice. So probably one of the lead thinkers, in my opinion, around healing and movement building of our generation. So those are my two colleagues in this work. That's really powerful, Fran. And I think if you would, wouldn't would mind leaving us with a closing statement on your dream. I know that you're a mom and I know you've been doing movement work for a long time. In the next 20 to 30 years, what's your dream? What would you like to see for our communities, for your, for your kiddos, for, for our movement? I mean, I think my biggest dream for the children and the children of the children, us and everyone, is that we're able to have a society that really centers humanity. And that is from its most basic needs, which we're all fighting for constantly, to also its spiritual and emotional and physical well-being. And that could look like organizations across the the spectrum of movement building and social justice but that could also look like breaking through in in breaking through outside of that outside of our circles into mass consciousness and to returning to some level of traditionalism and when i say that i mean that we are in tune with nature and that we are trying to balance, balance our relationship with it and that we protect our environment in the broader sense, both like literally the waters and, and the, the, the skies and, and the earth, but also each other as part of it. And so I hope that, that that's the kind of transformation both at the most intimate you know, individual level and then also at scale that our consciousness and this back to really having a, a, a healthy relationship with the earth is something that can permeate across the country, but the world. What does culture, indigenous culture have to do with, um, with returning to the valuing of human dignity with, um, healing justice with politicized healing. So what does culture have to do with it? Yeah, of course, I've been saying, I've been geeking out reading all kinds of stuff and just kind of reminding myself and in the process that 
we come from this, that our ancestors had a really beautiful cosmo vision of, of the world and that they believed they came from the earth, they were of the earth, both the planet and like dirt itself and the waters and the trees and everything that makes up our ecosystem was in this really beautiful, profound reciprocal relationship and that there was a balance to things and I think that the more that we can learn from how our ancestors or indigenous ancestors both of the African continent or the Americas and how they lived or other places before this ferocious economic system in this individualistic Gregorian you know, type of mentality and framework to everything, then I think we'll be going at the pace that we're supposed to go. I think we'll be looking at ourselves and wanting to relate to everything that way, beginning with ourselves. And I think that we'll also get some guidance, some guidance and a blueprint on how to build our own collectives and our own organizations. And so when in doubt, look into what, you know, our ancestors did. When in doubt, read up on that kind of stuff. And it, it'll show you, it'll show you the way and it'll give you answers. And I feel like I'm in that place again of wanting to really look into more of that um, and how we re- could relate to each other and relate to the place that we live and how we can um, begin to transform it and go back, go back to some of that. And how do we break with that frame of mind that is so strong and so powerful and that's been around for so long, which is individualistic which is made up of greed and exploitation and flip it on its head. And our ancestors and the ancestors of these lands really give us a blueprint from the way that we eat to the way that we relate to our own families and our own relationships and our community to the way in which we can build entire economies. And so I just hope that we can all become more studious in that so that we can go back to some of our really beautiful, powerful, and transformative traditional ways. Ashe, thank you so much, Francis. Thank you. Porchas from Resilient Strategies for Out of the Margin. Resistance. 